Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go, picking up where we left off in our study through the book of Joshua that we are calling Living for a Legacy. This is week seven. If you're brand new, welcome to Redemption. We are so glad to have you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter four. And the sermon title today is called Next is now, how many of you are excited for what God is doing next? How many of you are excited about what God is about to do in us and through us here at Redemption? If you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you're new. And so I have something very exciting to tell you today, a major announcement, a big update that is going to change our church forever. We will never be the same after what God does next. So five years ago, me and my wife, Ashley, we moved here back home to Beaumont, Texas with a dream and a vision to start a brand new life-giving, spirit-filled church in the heart of downtown Beaumont. And over the last five years, God has done something amazing. We have seen lives changed, souls saved. We've seen marriages restored. We have seen kiddos be dedicated, prodigal sons and daughters come back home. We have seen testimonies testimonies and healings and miracles. But over those five years, we've never had a place to call our own. In fact, over the last several years, our church has actually met in about six different locations. Redemption Church actually started as a Bible study in an old town apartment with about 10 people. And we have continued to grow from there. And over the last five years, we've met in other churches that have opened their doors to us. We have met in coffee shops. We've met in restaurants. We've met in bars. That's right. In fact, our church started in a bar on Crockett Street downtown. We started in a bar. And when that bar closed, we moved to another bar. And then when that bar closed, we moved back to the first bar. But then we moved into this old warehouse that we've renovated and turned it into our home. And God has been so good. God has been so gracious. You guys have been so amazing, loving your church, praying for your church, serving your church, giving towards your church. And over the last five years, we have seen lives change, but we've never had a place to call home. Until today. We got the keys! We got the keys! Come on! Redemption, we got the keys. We got those keys. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? God is so good. God is so good. The legacy is not for lease. There is a church here in Beaumont, and we ain't going nowhere. We exist to see what a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. We got the keys. Man. Woo, I am excited. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Hey, do y'all want to, like, see the building? Do y'all want to see it? We have been praying for a building, but God did so much more than that. In fact, we didn't just buy a building. We bought the entire city block. We are home now. Look at this. Show the video. So we bought the building that we're currently in. But we bought the entire block. And so this entire section right now is all going to become children's ministry. Your kids are going to be worshiping, serving Jesus in this room. This is where our youth ministry, next gen, everything's going to be happening here. And we're going to renovate the entire other side of this building. And you look at the downtown area and what God is doing here at Redemption. Here's a, just a picture of what, of what the future buildings will look like. When people walk in, this is what they're going to be able to see. They're going to see prayers be answered. We have been praying. There's it. That's it. Yeah. 
And here's our lobby. That would be the new lobby of the church. We have been praying for this moment for over a year, and God has answered every single one of our prayers. See, if you come to First Wednesday Prayer Night, here's what I would always teach you is that we don't pray generic prayers because generic prayers get generic answers. We pray specific prayers because specific prayers get specific answers. And some of y'all be praying prayers that God's answering, but because you're not specific in those, you don't know what you're looking for. And so here's what we've been praying for. We've been praying for a building that's going to be large enough to, to have all of the redemption kids. Because we're every man, woman, and child. Children's ministry is incredibly important to us. As a church, about 30% of our Sunday attendance is children. On average, the church is about 18 to 20%. We're at about 30% kiddos running around the back. They need their own space. And so this entire part is all going to become children's ministry and youth ministry for us. We've also been praying. We've also been praying that we need a space that's going to be able to be large enough to facilitate growth. Because here's what I believe. The shoe should never tell the foot how big it can be. And so we don't want to buy a building that we're not going to be able to grow in. And so we were praying, God, give us 500 seats. They mapped it out. We're looking at about 550. He does more than we could ask or imagine. There's 500 parking spaces. It's in downtown. There's a one-way street leading directly to the church from the downtown overpass. But here's what I'm really excited about is we were praying for 30-foot ceilings. And guess what? That building over there is two stories, which means we're going to get 30-foot ceilings in this new building. It is going to be absolutely incredible. Here's what I see when I look into the future. Man, I just see lives changed. I see souls saved. I see people who will never be the same again. I see people who have given up on church coming back in to a vibrant relationship with God. I see children and grandchildren coming to the Lord. I see missionaries being raised up in-house. I see our Redemption Leadership College training pastors and deacons and missionaries to send them around. I see church planters being sent out from here. I see a city renewed. I see the gospel going forth. I see miracles happening in this room. That's what I see when I look forward into the future. How many of you are excited about what God is going to do next. Well, if you want to see what God does next, there's some things that we need to do now. That's the title of this message, and that's what we're going to learn from Joshua, is that next is now. If you want to see God do something great in the future, then we're going to have to prepare ourselves for that today, because next is now. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's going to be the thought that's going to guide our message today. Here's what it is. You ready? Before God works through you, God works in you. See, oftentimes, here's what we want. We want God to work through us. God, do a miracle. Do a breakthrough. God, do a healing. God, come through for me. God, do something amazing. God, I need you. God, do something for me. And God's like, I want to do something for you. I want to bless you. I want to give you that breakthrough. But there's some things that I'm going to need for you to do first. Because if you want to see what God does next, there's going to be some things that we need to do now. We understand this when it comes to other aspects of our lives. It's a principle that, that is really true for every area of our life. Like we understand that in order to see what happens next, there's some things that we need to do now. We understand it when it comes to, say, our marriage. Right? If you want to have a great marriage that lasts for a long time, well, then it starts in your dating relationship, moves through your engagement, and those first seven years of marriage, they're tough. And what you do, it really determines the quality of marriage that you have 50 years in the future. We understand that next, uh, that now uh, is, is, is what leads us to next. We get it when it comes to our careers. Right? Nobody just starts off in the corner office. 
I know people want to, but no one just starts off in the corner office. What is it? It's working hard, showing up early, staying late, putting in the hours, saying, yes, ma'am, no, sir. And over time, you're able to increase your vocation, hit those raises, get those performance reviews until eventually then you get the raise that you were looking for and asking for. There's hard work that leads towards it. See, as a society, here's what we want. We want the success of others. We see the success of others, and we're like, man, I want that. Look at how successful they are. And while we see their success, here's what we don't see. We don't see the sacrifice they made to get there. We want their success, but we, we are unwilling sometimes to, to see the sacrifice that it took. I mean, we get this when it comes to, say, like the UFC. Anybody UFC fans in here? Somebody will win the title, and it'll look like they're an overnight success. But then when you get to know their story, there's 10 plus years of training that went into the success. Now, you see their success, but you don't see their sacrifice. We get it when it comes to athletics, like the Houston Astros, American League champions, baby. But do you know how the Astros got to five ALCSs and three World Series? Do you know how they did that? They had to suck it for a very long time. And that word is in the Bible. You can go look it up, all right? Okay, if that offended you, wait till about another 15 minutes in the message. It's going to get wild. But do you remember those years? Those were some hard years. But what did they do? They made a sacrifice, and now look at them. They're successful. We see the success of others, but we don't see as the, the sacrifice it took. Now, we understand it in other areas, but here's where we often forget it. We forget about when it comes to our spiritual lives. In our spiritual lives, we just think it's automatic. In our spiritual lives, we just think, well, if it's God's will, then it's going to happen. Guess I don't have to do nothing about it. In our spiritual lives, we just have this understanding. We just have this thought that, 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 that it's just automatic. But let me tell you this. Legacy is not automatic. Legacy is not accidental. Like nobody just like wakes up one morning, trips and falls into their purpose in life. Right, legacy, it takes hard work, it takes determination, it takes grit, it takes perseverance, it takes choosing to do the right thing when nobody else is doing that thing. It takes your sheer determination and your partnering your will with God's will to see heaven on earth take place. That's what it takes to leave a legacy. And a lot of people want a legacy, but they're unwilling to work for a legacy. But can I just remind you, that before God does something through you, he wants to do something in you. That if you want to see God do the impossible, you need to do what is important. If you want to see what God does next, there's going to be some things that we need to get right now. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see God come to Joshua. And God's going to say, Joshua, I got amazing things in store for you. I got new territory for you. I got victory for you. You're going to be more than a conqueror. You're going to leave an inheritance that is going to bless generations to come. Joshua, in 6,000 years, there's going to be a church in downtown Beaumont talking about you and the lessons you learned and the legacy you left. Joshua, I got some amazing things. But before you see what I do next, I'm going to need you to do something now. Because next is... Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to ask you four questions, four things that you need to consider now if you want to see God do something next. And here's what they tell you. They, they tell you educators and, and teachers, they say, if you want to really teach somebody, then what do you do? You ask them questions. If you ask good questions, then people are going to go home and they're going to figure out what the, the answers are. So I'm going to ask you four questions, things that you need to consider now in order to see what God does next. The, the first question, if you're taking notes, write this down, is what do you need to remember? Here's where the story is at today. We're in Joshua chapter 4 and 5, and it started in Joshua 1, where God comes to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous. You're going to go across the River Jordan. You're going to defeat Jericho. You're going to inherit the land that I have promised to your forefathers. I will never leave you, forsake you, or abandon you. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to be strong and courageous. Nine times God tells him that because God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. Be strong and courageous. 
Well, so then he takes that strength and courage. He sends some spies out into Jericho. They came back and they bring a good report. They say, the hearts of the people, they've melted like wax. We can do this. We got this. Let's go. And so he leads them across the River Jordan. Now, the River Jordan is at flood stage at this point. It's a very large river. And it is flowing with the strength of an entire flood. As the, as the snow would melt off the tops of the Mount Gilgal and it would flow down, it was basically uh, unable for them to cross. But God was with them. And so he, he led them right to the edge of it. And here's what God said. God said, take the priests, follow the Ark of the Covenant, which is the power and the presence of God. And as soon as your priests step foot in the river, the river is going to part and you will walk through on dry ground. And so here's what Joshua did. He led him right up to the river. And as he was standing at the river, they put their foot in, the ark goes before him, the river parts, two million people walk through on dry ground and they go from the wilderness to the promised land. They move from 40 years of walking around in circles, and now they are standing in the promise that God has given to them generations ago. And as they enter into this new promised land, here's what God says to them. Before you see what I do next, there's something I need you to do now. This is kind of where we're at as a church. As a church, God has really led us through to this place. I mean, you got 10 people in an apartment. You got me and my wife. And you got, you know, staff and a crew and volunteers who are driving a truck, setting up, tearing down for four years. I mean, you got people like Trevor on a scaffold trying to hang ceilings and sheetrock. I mean, this building is kept together by prayer and duct tape. That's pretty much the only thing that's got us to the point right now. And yet God has led us and guided us to this moment. And as we have the keys and we're moving into this new season, here's what God's saying to us. I got great things for you next, but I got some things I need for you to do now. If you want to see what I'm doing next, here's what I need you to do now. It's a, it's a Joshua moment for us because we can't go back to the wilderness. We can't go back to wandering in circles. There's too many of you. We can't go back to my apartment. <laughs> but here's what we can do. We can move forward into God's promise. And in order for us to move forward and to see what God does next, there's some things that we need to learn how to do right now. So here's my questions for you. The first question is this. What do you need to remember? What do you need to remember? Look what Joshua 4.1 says. Joshua 4.1 says this. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, each of the man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here in the midst of the Jordan from the very place that your priest's feet stood firmly and then bring them over and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Jesus called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass before the ark, the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take each of you a stone upon your shoulder and according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the times that come, how many of you are parents of small children? Parents of young children? You know what kids do all the time? They ask questions. <laughs> right, how many of you have like a toddler? Yeah, okay, they ask a lot of questions. Here it says, your children ask questions. I just love that the Bible's so real. <laughs> it's just so real. Hey, your children are gonna ask you a lot of questions. Right, statistically, the average child asks about 200 questions a day. Four-year-old girls ask the most. Almost 400 questions a day. That's three questions per minute. Okay, and I got two toddler girls. Girl dad here, y'all be praying for me because, I mean, I am, like, Rogaine is about to get a whole lot of stock because I'm pulling my hair out sometimes. It's rough. But the Bible understands what parents go through. And, and, and the Bible actually writes this down and said, hey, when your children ask you these questions, we need to be ready to have an answer for them. Grab these stones, place them in the middle of your home. And the children will say, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them of the waters of the Jordan that were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. 
Here's why this sermon series is so important to us. At Redemption, we just preach straight through books of the Bible. And God in his providence, he has certain moments that are key for us as a church. And this series is one of those moments. It's actually a, a vision series. It's as a church, we're looking forward to what God is going to do next. We're, we're anticipating a mighty move of God. We're anticipating a gospel-centered movement. We want to see those 500 seats filled up and overflowing two services, three services. The worship team just blew a gasket. Three services. How are we going to do that? I don't know. But we're praying and believing that God's going to do something amazing next. At the same time, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really challenging. It's going to be really difficult for that to happen. And so if we want to move on to what God has in our future, we have to sometimes pause and remember God's faithfulness in our past. This is what I'm praying right now. I'm just praying, God, God, I, I want so much good. And it's hard and it's confusing and I'm overwhelmed and I'm in over my head and I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then I reflect back and I remember that God was faithful, that God continued to be faithful, that he is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same in my future. And so you have to remember what God has done. I love that it says when your children ask you questions. Why would, it, why would children ask you questions? Because they need to understand why we do what we do and why we live the way that we live. But it's not just children who ask questions. It's your coworkers. It's your roommates. It's, your, it's the person who lives next door to you. It's, it's friends. It's family members. It could be your parents. It could be your brothers or sisters. And they might ask you questions. Why do you live the way you live? Why do you do the things that you do? Why, why, do, you, why, why do you have the rhythm of life that you have? I'm anticipating the day that my daughters start asking me these questions. When my daughter asks me, and she says, Daddy, why do we go to church on Sunday? When she goes up to my wife and she says, Mama, why do you wake up early and read your Bible and pray? When she asks, what are you doing? Like you give 10% of your money to the church and then you give above and beyond so that way we can bless and help and serve other people? Well, why do you do those things that you do? These are, these are questions people are going to ask you. And on that day, I'm going to look down at my, my daughter. I'm going to look her eye in the eye, and I'm going to say, baby girl, there's something you don't know about your dad. I've not always been a pastor. I don't have to do this. I want to do this. Because I've also not always been a Christian. You know, there was a time in my life where I was not a good man. There's a time in my life I hurt a lot of people. There was a time in my life where I was very hurt and I was far from God. There was a time I was lost and wandering in the wilderness. There was a time I was a slave. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to self and the flesh. I was a slave to drug addiction. I was a slave to depression, I was a slave to sexual sin, alcoholism, I was lost. And then God showed up. And when I thought there was no way, he parted the rivers for me. And I walked past those rivers on dry ground. And so why do we go to church? Baby girl, this is a stone. A stone to remind me of what God has done. Well, why, why, why do we tithe? Well, because it's not about us giving 10% to God. It's because God gave us 100% of himself. Why do we go to small groups? Baby girl, let me tell you about how actually me and your, your mom, we, we, we started this church as a, as a small group. And look what God's done in the lives of everybody around us. And so we, we, we have small groups because, man, we need that in our lives. We need people. We can't do it alone. And so let me just tell you these stories because these stories become stones of remembrance for what God has done in your life. When your children ask you these questions, what are you going to say to them? You need to remember God's goodness. But I also say this when it comes to the, the new building. Like, 
it's going to cost us about $1.5 million to renovate this whole space. And you hear that and you're like, what? That's a lot of money. And it is. So please go to redemptiontx.com. <laughs> And you can fill out this bold card right here, and you can make a bold pledge to join us in that. It is going to cost a lot. And, and I'm trying to figure out how it's going to happen. I'm like, God, I just don't know how this is going to happen, but what do I do? I stop and I remember what God has done. Because God has done it before for us. I mean, I could just tell you crazy stories of what God has done. Okay, let me just tell you one story. So whenever me and Ashley were first starting planting the church, before anybody ever walked through the doors, right, nobody was even a part. We had no building. We had no website. We had no logo. We had no money. We didn't even have a bank account. And I met a business owner here in town, and he heard about us moving in, and here's what he said. He said, I'm going to give you a plot of land. He gave us half an acre in downtown Beaumont next to Edison Plaza, half an acre of land. I'm like, thanks, God. What am I going to do with this? I have no people, I have no building, I have no money, but I got land. What do I do with this? And so we didn't do anything with it. We just sat on it. And as we began to renovate this new building, we were coming up about $50,000 short to be able to pay for the renovations that we're, we're currently in. And then all of a sudden I remembered, oh, I got that plot of land. And so I called Edison Plaza and I said, hey, do you want to buy that half acre of property, and they bought it for $50,000. God knew what we needed before we ever even needed it, and he provided before we ever got to the place to where we were asking for it. And just crazy stories like this. Like, okay, when we were also working on this renovation for the building, we, we needed the money to be able to buy the lights and the screens and computers, all the worship equipment and the cameras and all of our production stuff. But again, we were still coming up short. And so here's what God did. The Assemblies of God, which is the denomination that we're a part of, they, they call and they said, hey, Byron, we just sold an old uh, building off of Dallin Road. And so we actually want to give you all of the money from that sale. And it's about $50,000. <laughs> and you know who bought that building? Steak and Shake. So every time, who loves some Steak and Shake? Every time you go to Steak and Shake, just say, thank you, Lord, because this is the church Steak and Shake built, okay? <laughs> Everybody watching online right now, you're watching online because of Steak and Shake. That's right. But God, God knew it. I mean, crazy stories. Listen to this. We were having a prayer meeting. Because that's what you do if you, don't know, if you don't have any money. What do you do? You pray. And so we were having a prayer meeting, and we were praying and praying. And we're asking people, okay, go home and ask God, how much do you want me to give? And so people took that seriously. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm asking you, go home and pray and ask God how much you want to give. And so we're praying. And as we're in that prayer meeting, here's what happened. Craziest story. There was a, a woman and she was praying and God told her, I want your husband to sell his Jeep and give the money to the church. And she said, uh-uh, God. <laughs> He loves that Jeep. You're going to have to tell him because I ain't telling him. And so they leave. They get in the car. And he turns and he looks at her and says, so did God say anything to you? And here's what she said. She said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you first. And he sat in that parking lot. And he looked at his wife and said, God wants me to sell my Jeep. Wow. And she said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I got a husband who listens to God. And so he sold his Jeep. He gave it to the church. And then here's what God did. God gave him a job about three months later that moved him, but he made twice as much money as he was currently making in that position he was in. God blessed him beyond he could even, he can even imagine. God, I just got crazy stories over and over about how God has been faithful to us as a church. And here's what I want you to know, that if God did it before, he can do it again. If he did it then, he can do it again. I mean, just think about what God's faithfulness has been to us up until this point. I know that God didn't lead us across the Jordan to abandon us. I know that God didn't lead us here to this moment to disappoint us or to fail us or to let us down or to laugh at us. I know that God brought us to this moment and he has been faithful then and he will do it again. He was faithful in my past. He's faithful today. He's going to be faithful in the future. God did it before and I I believe that we as a church will see him do it again. We have to remember what God is doing in our lives. And that remembrance will fuel our faith 
for what God wants to do in our future. So here's my question for you. I want you to go to your small group this week and I want you to journal this out. I want you to just make a list of five things, five questions, five, five things that God has done in your life up until this point. Because when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, you're gonna need to remember these stones because these are gonna be the stories that get you through. What do you need to remember? The second thing is this, is what do you need to repent? We love the remember part. Here comes the repent part. What do you need to repent? Here's, here's how it says, Joshua 5.2. At the time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel. How many of you guys were looking forward to the circumcision sermon? <laughs> right? You're like, I can't wait for the circumcision sermon. Okay. Make flint knives and the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gebeth Haraloth, which is what the men said when they were circumcised. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did have a really good circumcision joke right here, but if you know, I have been trying to make my sermons, you know, a little shorter, so I had to cut it out. So. Uh. <laughs> We good? Too much? Not, not enough? It's good. But I have to make a joke because this is actually really serious. And if I don't make you laugh, you're going to throw something at me. But repentance is a big deal. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, as he was writing the 95 uh, theses and nailing them to the, the Catholic Church, the first line in it actually says, the Christian life is a life of repentance. The only way that you can become a Christian is it starts with repentance. Fish swim, birds sing, Christians, we know what we do? We repent. Repentance is incredibly important. And up until this point, the people of Israel had not repented of their sins. That's why an entire generation had to pass away before they entered into the promised land because of their sin. That's why Moses couldn't enter into the promised land because of his sin. It was the sin that kept them from God's blessings in their life. And so they needed a moment to where they could repent. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible is circumcision is actually a sign of God's covenant relationship. The same way that a, a, a wedding ring is, is a sign of your marriage relationship, the same way that baptism is a sign of your salvation, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his Old Testament people. And for 40 years, they failed to keep their end of the bargain. And so as they cross through the River Jordan, here's what God says. I have been faithful. I have blessed you. I've been there for you. I have been good to you. I got good in store for you. But before you move on to what's next, there's some things you need to do now. You need to get your heart right. There's going to have to be a, a cutting away. There's going to have to be a removal. There's going to have to be a repentance of the things that keep you from me. And so repentance today gets a bad rap. We hear the word repentance and all of a sudden people get really nervous in church. Oh, repentance sounds to me like you're telling me that I'm wrong. It's because you are. We are clear then. Sounds like you're telling me there's some things in my life I need to change. There is. Sounds like you're telling me I'm not perfect. You're not. So there's things that we all have to repent. In our day and age, we teach tolerance. We teach preference. We teach ignorance. And we don't teach people repentance. Therefore, people spend their entire lives missing out on what God has for them. Wow. Repentance is not a bad thing. In fact, repentance is a good thing. Amen. In the Greek, the word repentance literally means metanoia, which is a change of life, mind, thinking. It's a change of direction. So I want to give you just a, a way to reframe repentance. That repentance is not bad, it's good, it's not negative, it's positive. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is an invitation to a relationship. That God is inviting you into relationship. It's your sin that separates you from God. It's repentance that brings you into relationship with God. So here's, here's what repentance is. Repentance is this, is that your face is living towards sin. That your life, your direction, your heart wants, needs, what you want, when you want, however you want it, following culture and trends, this is your life. And the moment God shows up, you turn from your sins and now you place your trust in him. It's a change of direction. It's a change of thinking. It's a change of life. 
And now instead of your, now your back is to sin and your face is towards God. This is what the Puritans would call living quorum Deo, which literally means to, to live in the face of God. You know what face is? Face to face is the language of friendship in the Bible. You know how you build relationships with somebody? You sit down and you talk to them, how? Face to face. And so whenever God says, hey, I need you to repent, here's what he's really doing. He's asking you to look him in the face so that way you can be his friend. That's repentance. Because Israel's not gonna be able to experience the blessings of God when they're living in disobedience. Israel's not gonna be able to experience the fullness of God when they're living unfaithful lives they're not gonna be able to experience what God has for them if they're running away from him. And so he comes to them and says, hey, I wanna be in relationship. I wanna be with you. I wanna bless you. And I wanna do something amazing next. But before I do, there's some things you need to do now. And here's what I wanna say to you. There's things in all of our lives that we need to repent. There's things in my life. There's things in your life. And if you're like, I got nothing, you should repent of your pride. <laughs> There's things in all of our lives we need to, to repent of. I don't know what your thing is. I mean, maybe it's bad habits. Maybe you drink too much. Two, bin, two beers turns into 10 beers. Maybe it's a, a drug addiction. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's just bad habits, staying up all night, playing video games. Are video games sin? No, but they're kind of dumb. You probably shouldn't stay up till three o'clock playing them. Because then what happens? You wake up, you're late for work, you have no time to read your Bible or to pray, you come home at the end of the day at work and your dog tired and you don't spend time with your kids. It's a bad habit. It needs to go. You gotta remove that from your life. Whatever it is, I, I don't know, maybe you're texting somebody inappropriately. Uh, maybe it could be that you're in a relationship. You have no business being in a relationship with a boy or a girl and they're not yet followers of Jesus and you're like, but I can change them, sister. You cannot. Only Jesus can change them. And I have to ask you this question. Is that relationship worth your relationship with Jesus? Is that habit worth your holiness? Right? Is that boy worth your joy? <laughs> I just kind of have to ask these questions like, is this really worth it? At the end of the day, if it's not worth it, you got to get it out of your life. If there's anything that is separating you, hindering you from growing in your relationship with God. You got to remove it. You need to repent from it. And here's what I want you to know. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. If it doesn't cause you to grow, get rid of it. Listen, your future is far too important to waste on foolishness. Your future matters. Tomorrow is important. God has something great next for you, but there's some things you got to do now. Your future is far too important for you to waste some foolishness. And if you think that the whole goal of your life is to have fun, listen to me, you are not going to have a future and not having a future, it ain't no fun. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. Jesus says it like this. If your eye causes you to sin, what do you need to do? You need to pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Chop it off because it is better for you to go to heaven with one hand than to be in hell with two hands. If it doesn't bring growth in your life, you gotta get it out of your life. Is it worth it in the end? Yes, holiness is hard, but so is missing heaven. So you gotta choose your heart. What would you rather have, a relationship with God or self in this momentary happiness that is fleeting or eternal life and the abundant life that Jesus promised for you? Listen, listen, you got to remove some things from your life because you will never experience the blessings of God if you're living in disobedience to his word. What do you need to remember? And then lastly, what do you need to repent of? And then here's where we move into next. What do you need to replace? Okay, here's the good news. Is that God never removed something without replacing it with something better. Did you know that? God never removed something without replacing it with something better. Like when God removes a toxic relationship, it sets you up for a godly relationship. 
When God removes your greed and he replaces it with generosity, it opens the door for his favor in your life. When God removes one thing, he replaces it with something better. When God removes guilt, he replaces it with grace. When God removes shame, he replaces it with salvation. When God removes pain, he replaced it with peace. When God removes hurt, he replaces it with healing. When God removes one thing, he replaces it with something, and that thing is better than the thing that was holding you back from him. It's the God that we serve. So what do you need to repent of? And what is God going to replace that with in your life? Look at what it says here. In Joshua 5.10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, and here's what the word Gilgal means. Gilgal is the place where God has removed their reproach. They are no longer wanderers. Now they are warriors. God has rolled the stone away of their reproach. They're no longer slaves. They're sons and daughters of God. They are no longer sojourners. Now they are soldiers. They no longer are victims. Now they become victors because God has removed their reproach and he has replaced it with something new. And here's how we keep going. It says this, and the 14th day they celebrated Passover in the evening of the plains of Jericho. And the day that they had Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, parched grain, and the manna ceased that day that they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people. But instead, they ate of the fruit of the land. So what does God do? He removes the manna, and he replaces it with the fruit of the land. So what what does that mean? If you're a student of the Bible, here's what you know, is that God actually provided for the nation of Israel for those 40 years wandering through the wilderness by by having manna fall from heaven. You say, well, what is manna? Nobody knows. In fact, the word manna literally means, what is this? Because it would just show up overnight. And they would gather the manna, they would eat it, and then it would disappear. And they would wake up the next morning, and there would be more manna. Could you just imagine this? Like, sounds crazy. But here's the craziest part. That means they didn't have to do dishes for 40 years. <laughs> that was a pretty good, like, I mean, I, we'll do dishes, turn around, and they're dirty again. I'm like, what is this? How does this even happen? Right? They didn't have to cook. They didn't have to clean. They didn't have to harvest. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to do dishes. Right? They didn't have, like, you know, cookbooks with paleo and Whole30 manna or any of that stuff. Right? It's just God just provided it and then disappeared. And all of a sudden, one day, it's gone. You know why? Because you can't eat manna in the promised land. For 40 years, they lived on stale bread. But God doesn't want you to live on that. God wants for you to taste of the fruit of the land. And so when God removes something old, guess what? He replaces it with something new. Now, you... If I know church folk, here's what I know. There was somebody complaining. Church folk love to be complaining. They'll be like, back in my day, manna fell from heaven. (laughs) Back in my day, we didn't have to do any of the things that you young Israelites are doing because God just provided for us. But at the same time, you know, there were some millennial Israelites. They're like, you mean I have to work now? (laughs) Like, like, what soil? (laughs) Oh, it's dirty. But, but, but here's what I, I recognize when we read through the Bible, especially as we get later, later on in Joshua, when it comes to the dividing up of the land, you know what the people do? They start complaining. They start complaining like, this isn't the way that it was. This is hard. This is difficult. I wish things would just go back to the way that they were. I wish things would just go back to normal. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Especially after COVID, right? I mean, we're like, I wish things would go back to normal. How many of you have said that? I wish things would go back to normal. Okay, I've said it. I love you. But I'm going to lead us in this moment. As your pastor, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. You know why? Because I don't want to go back to the gig. I don't want to go back to not having a building. I don't want to go back to being in a small group. I I don't want to go back to our church in those core phases. I I don't want to go back to that. Because I don't want to go back to what is normal. I don't want to be a part of what is comfortable. I don't want to be a part of something that's convenient. I don't want to be a part of something that's normal because God don't do normal. 
God's always doing something new in our lives, new in our marriages, new in our families. He wants to do new in the church. Our God doesn't do normal. What he wants to do is he wants to do something new. Listen, normal was boring. New is bold. I want new. I don't want three songs on a Sunday, a decent sermon, pat my back, let me feel good, and try to beat the Baptists to Chili's. I don't want to just go to church. Here's what I want to do. I want to be the church. I don't just want a good sermon on Sunday. I want to live it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. I don't want just what's mundane. I want the miraculous. I don't want to live in fear. I want to live in faith. I don't want apathy. I want action. I don't want a church filled with Monday morning theologians. I want a church filled with men who love their wives like Jesus loved the church and women who respect their husbands. I want to see men getting down on their knees eye to eye with their kids and having my little pony princess parties. That's the church that I want to see. I want to see a church that takes this seriously. I want to see a church that lives on mission. I want to see a church that, 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 that plunders hell and makes heaven crowded. I want to see a church where you don't just leave the invite card. As you, as you go to a restaurant, you leave that invite card, and you leave a 25% tip with a note on it that says, you can sit with me. That's the kind of church that I want to be. I don't want to go back to being a, a normal church. And listen, I don't think that there's a generation of people who have abandoned the church who want to go back to a normal one. There's 500,000 people who live in Southeast Texas. The average church size is 80. If you do the math, there's about 300,000 people who are not in church this morning. So who's going to reach them? Who's going to get them? It ain't going to be normal people. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be people who believe that God wants to do a new thing. And listen, that's what our God does. I mean, when I read the Bible, here's what I don't see. Jesus say, you are a normal creation in Christ Jesus. No, that's not what he says. He he doesn't say, you can't take new wine and put it into normal wineskins. We don't want normal wine. How many of y'all want that new wine? That's what we want. We don't want normal, we want new. Jesus says, behold, I make all things normal. That's not what he says. Isaiah, he doesn't write, he says, today I am doing a normal thing. No, Isaiah writes and he says, behold, today the Lord is doing a new thing because God doesn't do normal. God does new. He wants to remove the 40 years of manna and he wants for you to taste the fruit of the promised land. He wants to do something new in your life. He wants to do something new in the church. That's the God that we serve. At least that's the God I serve. I don't know about your God, but that's my God. I serve the God who does new. I serve the God that when we remember, when we repent, he replaces with something new. Which leads into the final point as the, the band comes, is we need to go to a place to where we recommit. Uh, here, here's how Josh wins. The fourth question is, what do you need to recommit? Here, here's what he says. Joshua 5.13, when Joshua was by Jericho. So listen, this is something interesting the Lord just highlighted as I read that. Up until this point, Joshua has been surrounded in, in a group with his people. He was with them in the, in, the, in the tents. He was speaking to them. And now it says that he is by himself. So Joshua, he, he takes time to get alone by himself. And this week, I want you to take time and get by yourself to answer some of these questions. And when you do, I believe God shows up. And it says that he was walking around Jericho and he lifted up his eyes, that's in prayer. And he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his faith to the earth and worshiped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What I love so much about the book of Joshua as we study it is you really see that Joshua is God giving a second chance to the Israelites for their failure in the book of Exodus. I mean, you think about it. The Red Sea, the Jordan River. 
So you think about it, there's battles, there's battles, there's giants and there's giants. And how, how did God show up to Moses in a burning bush? And what did God say? He said, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. And it was in that moment, Moses, he made a commitment to lead the people to trust and obey and to follow the Lord. But over 40 years, they were distracted. Over that 40-year period, they lost their focus. Over that 40-year period, they served other gods and idols. Over that 40-year period, they had a bad attitude and grumbled and complained. And because of their unbelief, they were unable to see the answer to the promise that God had given them. And so now, as Moses passes away, they cross through. God shows up to Joshua, and he has a Moses moment with him. He says, Joshua, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. What is this? This is a recommitment that the people must make before the Lord. And who is this man that shows up, commander of the Lord's army? He has no kingdom. He has no nation. He has no army. Who is this man? Well, theologians and commentators, which I would agree with them, says this. It's none other than the pre-incarnate eternal Lord Jesus Christ revealed through the Old Testament. That the Lord Jesus shows up and he says, who are you going to live your life for? Who are you going to trust in? Who are you going to believe? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground before me. And I just have to think that if the Lord Jesus were here today, which by the way, he is, and he were standing in front of you right now, what would you do? Would you take off your shoes? Would you bow down and worship him? Would you follow him? A lot of you, I know, from Southeast Texas, you were raised in church, so you've probably heard the story of Joshua before. But here's also what I do know, is that just like people who are raised in church, you've walked away from the Lord, you've turned your back on him, you've lived in distractions, you've filled your schedule up with things that keep you busy. We've lost our focus. And the Lord Jesus is standing here with us today and he's saying, will you recommit yourself to me? And this is not just a one-time commitment. This is a daily decision to wake up and choose Christ over everything else in this world. And Jesus is standing here. Will you commit yourself to me? Because I got good next. But I need you to commit to me now. And whatever God does next only comes through commitment. It's a commitment to trust and believe and to follow him. They're going to see miracles, and next week we're going to see the walls of Jericho fall down. We're going to see giants get killed. We're going to see uh, entire seven-nation armies get defeated. We're going to see the sun stand still. But it ain't going to happen if we don't commit to follow Christ. We're going to see this building. We're going to see... Soul saved. We're going to see the church double in size. We're going to see your friends and family get baptized. But it ain't going to happen unless you commit today. There needs to be a place of recommitment. And so here's what I want to say as we close. Last line, last note. Don't put off until tomorrow what you know you're supposed to do today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow is the day. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here right now in the sound of my voice and you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart, saying, turn to me, trust in me, believe in me. If the commander of the Lord's army has his sword drawn out, who are you going to worship? Bow down to him. If you hear the words of the Lord pulling at your heart in this moment, don't walk away the same way you were when you came through these doors. Today Today is your moment. Today is your shot. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next Sunday. It's not five years from now. It's not when you get married. It's not when you have kids. It's not when you get that job. It's not in the future. It's now. It's not next. It's now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off until tomorrow what you know that you're supposed to do today. Because if you want to see what God does next, it starts now.